in him. That's what we want. That's what we're, we're desiring this morning. And we pray that you would give that to us. God, that you would open our hearts, that you would soften our hearts and allow us to believe a little deeper or believe for the first time. I pray that you would, you would rock our world with this passage, with, with Ephesians. It is so rich. And we pray that, that we could just drink it in. And we would have our lives changed as a result of you, God, your grace and your mercy and your redemption, and specifically this morning. We pray this in your great name. Amen. Please have a seat. What is up? Good to see you guys. Welcome to like the greatest place on earth. Is this not amazing? This is what we've been waiting for for so long. So glad some people came to church today. Usually good weather is like the kiss of death for church. So thank you for coming and waiting till after church to do something festive outside. Listen, we've been in the book of Ephesians for a month or so. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, verse 3, which says, Blessed be or praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us in him with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we talked about if we want to praise God, we've got to know God. And Ephesians is a great place to get to know God. It's theologically, it's doctrinally rich. So we've been trying to piece through verses 3 through 14, what we just read. Uh, last couple of weeks, Brian has been talking about God the Father. There's, there's some spiritual blessings that, that Paul is teeing up for us. He's praising God because of the spiritual blessings of God the Father, which Brian talked about. Last couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the Son today, and then eventually we'll get to the Spirit. We're not making great time. We're taking this like one verse at a time, so it could be a while before we get through the end of this. Uh, but Brian talked about how we were chosen before the foundation of the world to love God. We were, we were predestined to love God. And then last week we talked about how we've been adopted into God's family. Today, we're just going to focus on verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. That's what we're talking about. This is the beginning of the, the spiritual blessings of the Son. Redemption. It's a big deal. Redemption. So the question that I have for you this morning is, we have redemption in this verse. Do you know you need it? Do you know you need to be redeemed? Do you know that your situation is that bad that you would need complete and total redemption I think about my situation and in my 20s I think I knew it for sure my life was a train wreck there's failure everywhere every direction in my life I needed redeemed everybody knew it <laughs> Tim's, Tim's a joke he needs redemption fast forward a couple of decades do I know it on a day-to-day -day basis I don't know man I've been having some some good days there's not as much failure, at least from first glance, if, you, if you're looking at my life, I don't, I don't see as much failure in my life. Just to be clear, it's there. Uh, but, I, but I prefer to gloss over that and look at maybe some of the successes in my life. So do you know that you need redemption? To answer that question, I think it's helpful to find out 
what is redemption? Redemption is kind of a funny word, one of the Christian words that I don't know that we use very often in kind of normal vocabulary. We probably know it, you guys know it to some extent, you know what redemption means, but do we know it fully? I don't know, it's kind of hard. Sometimes these Christian words, like, I think I have an idea of what that means. I think of the Christian words, you know, I think of stuff like propitiation. Like, somebody mentions propitiation in a sermon, I'm like, I'm out. I don't know. No idea what propitiation means. My personal favorite is um, penal substitutionary atonement. Sounds a little inappropriate, but like, uh, yeah, I hear that, and it's like, wow, I, that's, a, that's a lot going on there. So let's define redemption for a second, just to make sure we all know what redemption is. I got two, two examples of redemption for you this morning, okay? This is like, this is not, this is not a, a lecture from a college. This is straight up Tim Porter. By the way, that's who I am, Tim Porter. This is Tim Porter. Wow, awesome. This is my definition. This is how I like to uh, describe redemption. We've got coupon redemption. It's one example. And we've got bankruptcy redemption. A little more, a little more intense. Let's start with coupons. Papa Murphy's. Okay? They send us coupons. Is it daily? I get a, Every time I check the mailbox, it seems like there's a Papa's coupon in our mailbox. I've got so many coupons in my laundry room junk drawer. We're about to remodel that. I think I could wallpaper that whole room with Papa Murphy's coupons. Is it really, like, helpful for them to send this many coupons? I don't know. But you know when I don't find a coupon? When I'm sitting in the parking lot going to pick up my pizza, I can't find a coupon to save my life. I don't know if that's true of any of you guys. I always forget the coupons, and it's extra irritating because I know we have a pile of them at the house. So, coupons. I go in to get our pizza, assuming I remember the coupon. I go in to get the pizza. I present them with the coupon. They discount my pizza. Okay, they give me some money off my pizza in exchange for the coupon. All right, I present the coupon. They discount my pizza. Then I hand them the coupon. They take the coupon from me. They throw it away. They rip it up and throw it away. Okay, they were obligated to give me a discount because I redeemed the coupon. But now that they gave me the discount, now that they paid for part of my pizza, they have been released by a payment. That's what redeemed means, released by payment. They no longer have to honor that coupon. They already did it. They are released, and I got a discount on my pizza. So that's the first, first example of redemption. Let's move to a more intense one. Someone called my office the other day. I'm a financial advisor and talk to people about money sometimes, and I heard a super sad story. Someone called, and I talked to him. It was a gal, a mom, a wife who had gotten into investing in cryptocurrency. And she uh, had some success last year, I think, when things were going up, uh, and made a ton of money, and she thought it would be a good idea to borrow some money to invest a little bit more in cryptocurrencies so that she could leverage her gains. And she was up like 150000 bucks at one point, I guess, killing it, doing great. And then things started to, to pull back earlier this year, late last year. 
and she lost the gain that she had. And then she lost the money that she borrowed to invest in the cryptocurrency. So she borrowed more money to invest in the cryptocurrency to try to make back the losses. And she lost that. And then she borrowed more money to invest in cryptocurrency to make back the money that she lost. And she lost that. Nine times she borrowed money to invest in cryptocurrency. And the final total, when she was all done, was 230 grand that she owed with a minimum payment of $9,000 a month. She is hopelessly and helplessly in debt. Virtually bankrupt, right? She needs redeemed. She can't pay it. She's a hardworking gal. I, like, dude, I feel terrible about her situation. She needs redemption. That's the redemption we're talking about. We're not talking about clipping coupons in church today. We're talking about bankruptcy style, hopeless, helpless, in debt. We are spiritually bankrupt. We need to know that. Let me ask you that question again. Do you know that you're hopelessly and helplessly spiritually bankrupt and that you need redeemed? You, you got to know that. You got to know that. We're not clipping coupons. We're not presenting God with our good works and hope to get a discount on our debt that we have with him. That's, that's not the way it works. That's the way some people view it. That's not the truth. It's bad. It's dire. We need redemption. But let me just read verse 7 to you again. Because verse 7 says what? In him we need redemption and we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses or sins according to the riches of his grace. That's the good news. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about this verse for a second. Will you put that back up? What? In this verse, it mentions redemption. There's a lot of stuff going on in this little tiny verse, but it's about redemption. So he says, in, in him, Paul says, we have redemption through the blood. And then, he, and then he rephrases redemption. Redemption is the forgiveness of our trespasses, the forgiveness of our sins. Let's keep the financial lingo going a little bit more because redemption is a financial word. What's another word for trespasses? What's another word for sins? Debt. That's right. Think of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we are forgiven our debtors. It's talking about sins. Redemption is the forgiveness of our debts before God. Do we have some debts that we've incurred with God? Absolutely. We offend God regularly. And it's dire, like I was saying. We've offended him. Psalm 51, uh, King David. Caleb, you were talking about this last week. King David was making a, a mess of things. Sleeping with somebody who wasn't his wife and then having her husband murdered. And in Psalm 51, he's pouring out his heart and he says, Against you and you only have I sinned, God. Is that true? I, I think he was sinning against some other people there. But it felt like it was just him because it's such a big deal when we sin against God. Romans 1 says we have exchanged the glory of God with man-made images or, or uh, things that resemble man. 
That's another way that we incur debt with God. We say, the glory of God. Should we take this glory of God? Or, oh, success looks nice. I think I'll exchange the glory of God for success. I'm going to put my hope in success. And we belittle God. We belittle the glory of God when we reject that and we take on the world instead. We do it with success. We exchange the glory of God. No thanks. I'll take money instead. We exchange the glory of God. No thanks, God. I'll take sex instead. We exchange the glory of God with fill in the blank. There's so many different ways. With politics, putting our hope in a politician, putting a hope in a political party, putting our hope in an issue or something. There's so many ways that we exchange the glory of God for, for something lesser. And in doing so, we incur additional debt with God. The one that I was thinking about this week is performance. We exchange the glory of God for our own performance sometimes. We look at our own performance to find our hope, find our salvation. My son had a baseball game the other day. It's like baseball game number five lifetime for him. Uh, and they asked him to pitch. So he gets up there to pitch, and he only got to pitch to three, three kids because um, they called the game because it was getting late. But at the end, after that, He's devastated because he didn't pitch very good. And he's like a wreck. Like he's so intense. He's, he's just like he can't even. His friends are there trying to say something. And he's like, I just want to go, dad. Let's just go. And so I'm like doing the dad thing. Like, like what, you know, what do we say after a bad game? You know, like, it's okay, son. You'll do better next time. You tried your best. It seemed kind of pathetic. You know, I'm like, how am I going to make this kid feel better? Uh, you know. It's just a baseball game. You know, you just started. You're not going to be an all-star. Nah, it didn't seem to make him feel better. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, what the, I'm trying to remember all the other dumb things I was saying. Like, oh, use this as motivation for the next time. we got to get out there and practice and play, play more. That didn't, seem to, that didn't seem to help. Holly, my wife, uh, <laughs> where'd, where'd you go, Holly? Uh, she said she read something after your kid has a bad game whatever you do don't try to give him tips and try to make him feel better you say let's go to ice cream <laughs> that that's how you make your kid feel better just ignore it and go to ice cream you know so i'm trying to give my son advice trying to tell my son don't look to your performance to find your salvation don't look to your perform i didn't say this to him but your salvation your your satisfaction your contentment and as the words are coming out of my mouth mouth i'm like dude i totally do this he learned it from me i'm the moron that he learned it from i am devastated when i fail i am all about my performance like I am, I have a, like an unhealthy scrutiny on how I do in everything, financially, work, church stuff. Like if I don't do great, man, I am a wreck. It hasn't been as bad lately. I told you, I think I mentioned it earlier in my 20s, I was a tortured soul because I was, again, focused on my performance and it was a, a, a mess. It was devastating. Things are a little bit better now, but I still have those horrific days when I fail and, and I'm just devastated as a result of that. I just want to say, if you are a tortured soul like me, 
at times. And you look to your performance. Listen, we can't do that, okay? Obviously. Don't look to your performance. Don't exchange the glory of, uh, of God for your own performance. But when you do that, not if, but when you look to your performance and you see failure all around you, just know the redemption was for you if you're the tortured soul. Your failure actually helps you understand your need for redemption. Do you get that? You have to see oh, the failure, as bad as it hurts, as, as, as much as it sucks, to, to think through that. Like, that gets you down the right path where you say, man, everything I've tried isn't working. I need complete and total redemption. I am hopeless and helplessly in debt before God, and I need to be saved out of that. That is a good thing. For the tortured soul. Let me just try to encourage you if that's you. And let me talk to the people who have great performance. People that, you know, and these are, I have these days too. Where you just look around and you're like, man, things are going really well. Look at all these things that I'm doing. Look at these beautiful children that I made, you know, whatever. Taking credit for, you know, something I didn't do. Let me just give a warning to you who look at your performance and actually think, my debt's not that bad. You gloss over the small stuff, of course, and then you compare yourself with three or four of your friends who maybe have got it worse off than you, who have some big moral failures. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's, it's uh, uh, you know, marriage or, or, or morally, whatever, whatever it is, and you say, nope, I don't have any of those. And you gloss over the small stuff. You gloss over the fact that you, you know, whatever the small things are. Me and Josh Rice were talking about this the other day. It's like cutting people off in traffic. Uh, being short with your, with your spouse. Getting irritated and frustrated and angry with your kids when you're trying to work. And that's just like before lunch, right? Like you gloss over that small stuff and you start to think, yeah, hey, my debt's not that bad. And not only is it not that bad, I think I'm actually reducing my debt because, look, I'm at church. I'm, you know, it's got to count for something. I've given a couple of times. I've served a couple of times. I told someone I was a Christian one time, like, I'm actually making payments on my debt. Not only is my debt not that bad, but I'm presenting God with some coupons. Can I get a discount on my debt? Do you mind taking 10% off because of the hard work I've done? Trying to make payments on our debt is like taking out a credit card to pay off your debt. Making the payments using a credit card. You're just layering debt on top of debt because it belittles God. It cheapens the grace that he offered you to try to make payments and to try to work your debt off. I, I'll tell you again, we are spiritually bankrupt. We are hopelessly and helplessly in debt before God. We need to recognize that. And if you recognize that, you can receive redemption. The way you do that is you got to declare bankruptcy. You got to declare it. I don't know if any of you are Office fans. <laughs> There's this episode where somebody tells Michael Scott he should declare bankruptcy, so he like walks out into this room with all his employees. And he, he, obviously, he's not very bright. He walks out. I, I forget what he says. I, Michael Scott, declare bankruptcy. 
makes this big declaration as if that's how the process works. It's, not, it's a little more complicated than that to, to declare bankruptcy. We essentially need to declare spiritual bankruptcy. You know, minimize our debt. You know, try to work it off. We just stand there and say, I got nothing, God. I am, I am hopelessly and helplessly in debt. We don't do a good job of this as Christians. We, th- we think we should forget our debt. God wants to, you to remember the debt. We think we should hide it. God doesn't want us to hide it. He wants us to confess it. He wants us to be honest. I found this psalm on my phone earlier today. I didn't have a chance to look at it. Psalm 32.5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. We must acknowledge it. Don't hide it. The secret to our success as Christians is not to minimize our sin before God, but, but to get a deeper understanding of how bad it is. When we get that deeper understanding of how spiritually bankrupt we really are, we will deepen the benefit of the redemption that comes from that. Do you follow? You can't, if you minimize the debt then you minimize the redemption. I'm not saying to go make a mess of your life. I'm saying you've already made a mess of it. We need to declare bankruptcy. We need to confess it. We need to acknowledge it before God. And we need to go to the book. The book has all kinds of ways that we've jacked stuff up. We go to the book and we see new and different ways that we have incurred debt before God. We acknowledge it and we ask for redemption. The more bankrupt you are, the more redemption you'll have. The more you see yourself as broke and destitute, the better off you'll be. Don't be fooled into thinking you must be working to earn God's favor. Like making payments on a mountain of debt. It's not helpful. If we confess our sins, we will receive redemption according to the riches of God's grace, is how that verse ends. We are spiritually bankrupt. We need to find someone who's spiritually rich. Wouldn't that be great? I hung a chandelier in my foyer the other day. This is a couple weeks ago. It's tall. It's like 18 feet, the foyer is. I had to uh, rent an A-frame ladder, a 16-foot A-frame ladder. I climbed to the top of the ladder, and then I just, like, clutched it for a while because was, I was so scared. It, like, it took me, I'm not kidding, several minutes before I could even look up because it was so, it was so freaky being up there. I hung the chandelier. Uh, we moved it, like, the height, like, four times uh, till we got it right. Uh, but we got it right, got it all wired up, and I went to the switch and went click <laughs> and nothing. The wiring was all jacked up because we had put in some new can lights and the electricians, we just hadn't gotten it finished. And so I spent a couple of hours trying to fix it, uh, but I am electrically 
incompetent. <laughs> okay, I'm electrically bankrupt. I needed to find someone who was electrically, you know, rich. <laughs> I needed the, I needed the, the, the combination there. I didn't know what I was doing. I needed to find an expert. So I call a buddy. He comes over. He spends an hour on it. He couldn't figure it out. Finally, I call an electrician. Daniel from All Power, my hero. Daniel comes in like 10 minutes. He's got the, he's got the thing figured out. He was the perfect guy for the job. It was a great, perfect combination, right? I am electrically dumb. He is wise and rich and electrical wisdom. It's the perfect combination. If you're hopeless and helplessly in debt, you're hoping to find someone who's filthy rich that loves to pay off other people's debts. Hard to find those people. If you're spiritually bankrupt, we need to find someone who's spiritually rich. What does Paul tell us? Paul tells us God is rich in grace. He says, he uses the word rich over and over and over again. He's obsessed with this word, rich. I'll prove it. In Ephesians 2, 4, we don't have this up here, so just, just listen. But God being rich in mercy, he says in Ephesians 2, 4. Ephesians 2, 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3, 8. Although I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to me, the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Ephesians 3, 16. According to the riches of his glory. Philippians. Then he goes on to a different book. Uh, in Philippians and says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And then Colossians is the last one. He said, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is in Christ, in you, the hope of glory. God is rich in grace. He's wealthy in forgiveness. He's abundant in mercy. He has everything we need as spiritually bankrupt people. What does that say? Sorry, I messed that up. <laughs> Trying to give me a cue. He has everything we need as spiritually bankrupt people. We have sinned against a God who loves to forgive sinners. What are the odds of that? Isn't that amazing? This is what this means for the tortured souls. I mentioned this earlier. Let me just try to, to comfort you again. If you see failure all throughout your life, you got to know he redeemed you from the shame of that. He's released you from the debt. He's freed you from that sin. And he paid for it. For your sins and for my sins. And he paid for it through the blood. That's what he used to pay for it. This grace wasn't cheap. He didn't just go, oh, no big deal. It's fine. It wasn't cheap. It was expensive grace. It was spendy grace. Any redemption worth talking about should be costly, should be sacrificial. There should be suffering involved for, for a redemption to matter, right? It doesn't cost anything. It wasn't that big of a deal. Let me just finish that story of that sad mom, the sad wife earlier. 
I talked to her husband sometime after that and wanted to hear his take. What's going on, man? How are you holding up? What are, what are you doing? And he said, yeah, we're, we're, in a, we're in a bind. We're in a pickle here. I'm not sure what, what to do. He had just found out about it. He had no idea that his wife had done this. But he says to me, how, mu- how bad of a husband must I have been that my wife had to go behind my back and do this and invest in this horrific scheme to try to whatever, prove her worth or prove her value? What? How bad must I be? I am totally implicated in this. Just to be clear, he's not implicated in it. He never knew what was going on. But he's inserting himself. He's sacrificing. And he's su- suffering for, in grace for his wife. He said, my, I want my daughters to have a mom. I want to have a wife. I will be there for her. I will not abandon her. Oh, is that not the coolest guy you've ever heard of? He can't redeem his wife. He can't write a check and cover her debts. But do you know who can redeem his wife? Jesus can redeem her. Just like he can redeem all of us. Isn't that awesome? And he redeemed us through his blood. Hebrews 9 says, there can be no forgiveness without the blood. It has to be bloody. God can't just turn aside and and ignore what we've done. It's unfair. It's unjust for him to do that. We all know that deep down, right? Somebody messes with you. Somebody sins against you. What do you know? They should be punished for that. We, of course, never implicate ourselves when, when when we think this. But we know deep down, sin must be punished. God is just, and he must punish sin. And the penalty for sin is death. God the Father is the judge, and God the Son stands in our place and takes the sentence for us. God the Father draws the blood, God the Son sheds the blood for us. He is both just and he is both justifier. He must shed blood and take the penalty that we deserve for us. And when he shed the blood, our debts are canceled. Let me read Colossians 2.13. Having forgiven us all our sins, all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Our debts were nailed to the cross. Jesus was nailed to the cross. Jesus became our debts. He who knew no sin became sin. Jesus is the debt. And the debt was set aside. It was nailed to the cross. And our debts were covered by the blood. The blood from the crown of thorns dripped down over our debts. The blood from the, from the, the nails in the hands and, and in his feet would drip down and cover our debts. The blood from the, 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 whatever, the spear in his side would cover our debts. The blood from his back being ripped open from the, from the whipping would cover our blood. God wrote a check and he covered our sins 
through the blood. It had to be bloody. That's how bad our debt was with God. We are hopelessly and helplessly in debt. We are spiritually bankrupt. We are not clipping coupons. We are not looking to present our good works in hopes God will reduce our debt. There's no hope for us. We stand there and we, with our, like, whatever that is, Matthew 18, the, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee stands before God in the temple and says, thank you, God, I'm not like this tax collector. I give, I serve, I, you know, tithe mint and myrrh and everything else. Thank you, I'm not like this guy. The tax collector stands far off, doesn't even lift his eyes, bows his head, beats his breast, it says, and, and all he says is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is the posture of those of us who understand our need for redemption. This is what we need to be thinking through. We are spiritually bankrupt, and it was so bad, so bad the, the redemption had to be bloody. We need redemption, and we have redemption. Let me finish with verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our sins the forgiveness of our trespasses the forgiveness of our debts according to the riches of his grace it's bad it's worse than we thought but the redemption is even better than we thought let's thank god for that right now Father, we, uh, we love you. We praise you again and always. We want to glory in your story that you have written. It is an amazing story. It, it defies logic that somehow in our weakness we can be strong. <laughs> How does that work? You're either weak or strong, aren't we? You, you tell us that in our spiritual bankruptcy, you have redeemed us from that. And the more that we understand the depth of our depravity, you, you, 